views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive by. What a great show I'm getting ready to have. Uh, you know, I, I mean, this is kind of like I was sitting talking to a friend the other day. I was doing an event and I did my first talk on my book topic about two weeks ago. And I was inspired uh, in, in, in a moment. I, I was right there in a moment. I was completely inspired. I turned to a very, very close friend of mine and I said, what the hell am I doing here? How did I get here? And she looked at me and said, oh, my God, you're getting ready to stand up and talk about God, and you just said that? And I thought to myself, I had an epiphany. I had a moment. I turned, and I had the realization that I am absolutely clueless, like the millions of you out there that listen to this show, when you look at your life and you think, wow, I'm standing here. Somehow I'm going to be talking about God here at this event. Now I'm doing the radio show. I'm reading books from some of the most incredible people. My guest today is one of them. And you have a moment and you think, how did this happen? It seemed like yesterday I was climbing on the monkey bars in the Bronx, New York, trying to figure out how I was going to get down without being tagged by an opposing team in this silly game we played. But here we are, folks. You know, part of this is showing up. Tonight, I get to introduce you. We get to chat about a lot of very, very juicy things. But when I get a book across my desk, and the book has a picture of a motorcycle on it. It is probably going to come to the top of the pile. As a matter of fact, everybody that is in the office that screens these books, they automatically know any book that has a motorcycle on it goes to the top. But if the book has both a motorcycle on it and the word spiritual, that book is not only at the top of the pile, but we make absolutely sure that that book gets in my hands and I have it in my hands today. I hope you are ready. A Spiritual Renegade's Guide to the Good Life. Wow. I am going to introduce you to someone I have a feeling that I'm going to be talking with quite a bit over over the next bunch of years. Because when I read his book, when I sat when down I and thought book, about I sat down and thought about and, 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 I think I'm getting I a little echo, a little right, echo there. right there. I think my guest maybe wants to, to jump in. But when I think about what Lama Marut has written in this book, this motorcycle, everything about it, 
this this person born Brian K. Smith, second generation Baptist minister. When I think about how you can come from that background and still get up, write a book like this, say yes to your journey, and be able to ride motorcycles, surf, and do yoga at the same time, I believe that there is hope from me. I get it now. But today, get ready to talk about the Spiritual Renegade's Guide to a Good Life. You know, this is, in addition to everything that he does, he tours and he brings forth a very, very, I'm going to use the word cool, cool message about the good life, cool message about happiness. And all I can do is visualize him on his super motorcycle with some of the most amazing meditation techniques that one can do while riding. But today's show is about happiness. Lama Marut, I want to introduce everybody. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure, Dr. Pat. Thanks for inviting me. I hope I didn't scare you off thinking about this image of you on the motorcycle in a a meditation or yoga uh, pose because (laughs) – I had to have that image. I had to have it because there may be hope for me. What do you think? Well, I've heard of people doing yoga on surfboards, but I've never heard of people doing a yoga posture on a motorcycle. But I guess anything's possible. I don't think I could do it. But uh, certainly meditation. um, Motorcycle riding is a great opportunity for for nice contemplation and and meditation. I used to um, commute 70 miles each way to my job from Venice Beach to Riverside, California on the motorcycle and had a lot of time inside the helmet to – to think things over. It's a very con- contemplative uh, sort of enterprise. Of course, you've got to have some part of your mind, uh, you know, kind of uh, activated to just keep alive. But <laughs> well, Don't you think, I mean, you and I share this, and we have this in common, and that is motorcycle riding. You know, one of the things I learned early on, I want to ask you about this now. Who thought we'd be talking about this? One of the things I learned early on um, coming from a motorcycle family we learned something that is unusual, and I know you're going to relate to this, especially if you did the commute that you just described. You learn how to pay attention to things that you wouldn't ordinarily pay attention to. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. I mean, don't you think you almost have to have a sixth sense to ride a motorcycle in California? I, I mean, I'm not sure if I want to ask you a question about how motorcycle helped you on your path to spirituality or how (laughs) spirituality helped you be a better rider. But you can pick which one of those questions you want. (laughs) Well, you're quite right. I mean, the sixth sense has got to be there if you're going to survive. I, I, you know, it was not only motorcycle riding, it was motorcycle riding through LA traffic and, uh, you know, splitting lanes and all of the rest. And uh, yeah, you have to be quite. present in the moment and uh, that's good training for life actually because uh, you know most of our time uh, you know is spent in in an imaginary future or a past that's already happened and uh, and very little of our time actually in the here and now so doing an activity like like motorcycling forces you to be in the here and now and that's a that's very very good (laughs) it's the only time that exists after all I mean, come on, you know and I know that if you absolutely, and and forget about it these days, anybody out there thinks, you know, texting in a car is bad, try doing it on a motorcycle. I'm telling you, but you know about it in a blink of an eye, in a blink of an eye, the whole landscape in front of you changes. And I want to compare that. And, you know, who knew that we were going to use the motorcycle as a metaphor? 
But I do want to talk with you about that because in a blink of an eye, when you're riding, I'm not going to tell you how fast I would ride, but let's just say 60 miles an hour. In a blink of an eye, things can change and we have to respond to it. How have you found your life unfolding in that same way with the path that you, you that you decided to to take here well you know in in the book i talk about it a little bit in terms of uh, how to how to live in the present and deal with you know pretty much anything that 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 life throws at, at you i think uh you know the whole the whole book and the whole i think journey can be summarized in 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 the fact that if you're going to live a happy life you have to you know deal with the past how to deal with the past and uh, how to have, um, you know, in, in a way that, that, that's, uh, that's making for a better present, dealing with the past in a way that's making for a better present, uh, dealing with the future in such a way that you can, you can have um, trust in, in, in the future, and then dealing with the ongoing present in such a way that no matter what life throws at you, you're able to, you're, you're able to deal with it. And uh, that pretty much sums it up as far as I'm concerned. If you can do those three things, you're going to live a happy life. And uh, unfortunately, for for almost all of us, uh, you know, we're we're failing at living a happy life. We want to be happy. Uh, you know, it's it's our deepest uh, drive, actually, to to be to be happy, to be to be living a fulfilled uh, life. But we're pretty bad at it. Uh, and uh, part of the reason that we're bad at it is that we we're we don't know what we can change and we don't know what we can't change. We, we, we mistake things that we can't change for things that we can change and vice versa. So uh, in, my, in my book, I go into the fact that, uh, that unexpectedly for most people, it's actually the past and the future that we can change. Uh, you can change the past. You can revise your past. You can reinterpret your past. The past is only, um, only exists in the present mind. And, uh, and, and so it's, uh, you know, can't change the, the data of the past. You can't change, you know, uh, the race that you were born in or the language that you, you know, you were taught to speak, your first language. But you can change the interpretation of, of, of what happened and make, make for, a, for a better past, for a, for a past that is, is more in the service of present happiness. And uh, you can change the future. We're always we're in the process of changing the future. Every every moment that we live, we're creating the causes for a future effect. That's uh, that's what the Eastern traditions call karma. But interestingly enough, the the present is what we can't change. You can't change the present in the present. So so the strategy there is to is to deal with what you can't change and and not try to. Uh, not try to micromanage it, not try to like force change upon it, which is impossible, but to learn how to deal with it happily. And, uh, and so, yeah, when, when the president throws you, a, a, you know, a curveball, you got to learn how to hit it. Exactly. And, you know, now you're talking about something that I also relate to uh, being born in the Bronx, you know, of course, uh, there are some of us that are still Yankee fans out there. <laughs> but I, I love the idea of, a, of, of being thrown a curveball. I, you know, it's funny in reading your book. I, what I love about it is this is a book that you can open up and on one page there's Hafiz. On the next page, there's Freud. And what I love is what you were able to pick out. One of the things you pick out in, in, in talking about Sigmund Freud, you, 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 you pull this quote out, and, it, and I think this is what it is. It says, you know, what do they demand of life and wish to achieve in it? The answer to this can hardly be in doubt. They strive after happiness. They want to become happy and remain so. And I want to ask you then this, because – 
boy, I'll tell you, my heart goes to happy with you. I'm slapping happy. That's how happy I am. <laughs> but there Good for you, are, Dr. Pat. I tell you, I tell you every once in a while, though, I step in a pothole. And then I'm not happy anymore. So yeah. what are some of the challenges? What are some of the things that get in our way except for us? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's nothing that gets in our way except for us. It, you know, this is one of the main things that I think um, that we have to first, uh, you know, we have to first uh, accept is the fact that, that we're in control of our lives, that mm. we're not victims We've never been victims. We might think of ourselves as victims, but we've always been in control of our lives. And so to take that kind of power and that kind of and the responsibility that comes with that power is the beginning, I think, of a mature spiritual uh, practice and saying, oh, it's nobody else's fault that I'm unhappy. It's not life's fault that I'm unhappy. It's not, uh, you know, random events that make me unhappy, that everything is in my power. Everything is uh, everything is ultimately uh controlled by me now now that doesn't mean that we can we can sort of control what happens on a moment-to-moment basis these are these are events that have occurred as a result of of previous causes that's how causality works you plant the seed in the past uh and then the seed is you know nurtured over time and then the and then the the sprout comes and once the sprout you know comes you can't just like push it back into the ground and say no i didn't want that sprout uh, you know, the deal's done. The the horse has left the barn or whatever the expression is. And uh, and so then you have to you know, then we have to learn how to how to deal with the present in a in a way that is that is uh, happiness producing, regardless of, you know, whether the event is wanted or unwanted at the time uh, that that's out of our control. The image I use in the book is like it's like honking in gridlock. You know, if you're in a traffic jam and, <laughs> yeah. and the traffic's. And the traffic's not moving. Well, you can honk your horn, but that's not going to make the traffic move. But, you know, on the other hand, not honking your horn isn't going to make the traffic move either. So, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't just make it go away. The image that's come to mind, uh, you know, for me recently is, is those old, like, pretty lousy sitcoms that I used to watch as a kid, you know, like Bewitched and uh, I Dream of Genie, where there was, yeah, like, magic, you know, women. Who could just like you know move their nose or or or, or shake their ponytail, and have the the, pre- the present change in the present, and uh, yeah. we are all kind of going through life hoping that we could just like you know bounce our ponytails around and and make things change, make the gridlock just uh, you know disappear, and uh, it doesn't work that way as we, as we should have known, as we should have realized over the course of twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy years of living. So the so the real question is well how can I make this event this this event whatever the event is in the present useful how can I learn from it how can I uh, transform it into some into an opportunity rather than uh, as a problem because these are just labels there's no well, you- there's no problems out there you know, there, there's there's just labels of, oh this is a problem but it could be relabeled and and if you can learn something from a from an event then it isn't a problem anymore. Well, you know, this is really kind of the interesting path that, you, you know, that we get to talk about here. You know, there's something that you and I both probably relate to this, right? You know, I grew up with fire and brimstone from two two uh, different religions, one Catholicism, the other one Southern Baptist. You know, they both have their own. They, have, they both have their own version of fire and brimstone. But one of the things that I've I've walked away with is the best of both of those, by the way. But there's something that I haven't been able to resolve, and I want to talk about this in terms of happiness. 
one day I woke up and probably when I was homeless in the Port Authority trying to get money for food, I woke up and what I realized was I don't think that I live in, in, in a consciousness where there is a bad God. You know, I really believe God is benevolent. So if I believe that, right, whatever you want to call it, God, higher power, if I believe that, then it would be hard for me to believe, too, that we get punished for things that we do wrong. And so I wanted to talk with you about this in terms of getting to that place of happy that comes from within and some of the dogma around, uh, you know, what we believe these days. Well, you know, I, I also, as, as you know, grew up in a, in a theistic tradition. Uh, and, and, you know, um, I just felt, I, I felt like, you know, if, if there is a God, uh, you know, God, God loves us. You know, mm. God isn't interested in, you know, in making our lives even more miserable. We, we, we do a good enough job of that on our own. And uh, so I think it was, um, I think it was actually Mahatma Gandhi that said, if you, you know, if you believe in a God, uh, then, then, then being worried and anxious is like heresy. It's like um, it's, it's it's like a, a heretical kind of sin against against God. Because you know, if you have a belief in God, then then your God, the belief that you should have should lead you to to feeling to feeling trust, to feeling safe, to feeling like you know that there's there that there's there's a power that's that's helping you, not not trying to like thwart you or punish you or you know screw you up even more than you than you do so i mean back to back to this personal responsibility thing i mean you know this is another way to avoid personal responsibility is to blame god for everything and to say oh you know god god made me you know made this bad thing happen to me or whatever you know we live in a we live in a in a world in a cosmos of causality where things don't happen for no reason and and things don't happen because of some whimsical you know kind of a sadistic god sitting on alpha centauri who's trying to screw us up all the time right exactly we, <laughs> we create we create our own misery we create our own happiness and we create our own our own problems and that i think is the beginning of 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 a of a responsible uh, mature spiritual practitioner practice is is taking that kind of power and that kind of responsibility that comes with power you know oftentimes we're interested in the power but we don't like the responsibility so uh you know as long as things are going well for us well then it's just yes yes i you know i, I created the causes for this but as soon as something bad happens we start looking for someone else to blame or, or something else to blame, including God. You know, people blame God for their problems. And, uh, you know, if there is a God, if there's a, surely there, if there is a God, the God must be a loving one. And if you don't believe in a loving God, trade, trade your God in for a better model. You know, uh, belief in a, in a, in a, in a, a kind of a nasty, you know, punishing deity isn't, isn't conducive to happiness. Yeah. And uh, that's the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to is to is to be happy. Is to learn how to be happy. And uh, and and so you know any kind of belief, any kind of doctrine that doesn't um, that doesn't aid in that in that enterprise is not useful. And and so we have to figure out well, what what kinds of what kinds of belief structures are actually going to be useful for our for our quest for true happiness. And and I would suggest that taking Taking total responsibility for your life is is a is a precondition 
for, uh, for, 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 for happiness because otherwise you're always going to feel a victim. You're always going to feel powerless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't take that power, if you don't take that responsibility yourself, you'll always feel like you're at the mercy of uh, other people and what they say and do or uh, life's events or, you know, or some transcendent deity who's uh, just like moving you around like a pawn. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm really struck by, and there are a number of them in your book, for those of you just tuning in, uh, this is a book you guys are going to want to get, A Spiritual Renegade's A Guide to the Good Life. Um, joining me here today, Alama Marut, joining me here today, the author of the book and much more. I just want to tell everyone that if you want to find out more about my guests, go to the website, lamamarut.org, and that's M-A-R-U-T.org, lamamarut.org. Check out the website. But this is definitely a book that you're going to want to keep by your bedside or wherever you have that spiritual moment where you pick something up and you read it. Because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well is, you know, for those of us that uh, we happen to manage our way through the corporate labyrinth, let's call it of success. You know, for me, I started pushing a mail cart, worked my way up to an executive level, only to find out that the excruciating pain I felt when all of it disappeared was almost as bad as putting all my eggs in that slot machine in Vegas. But it took me a really long time to get it. I mean, I'm still figuring it out. And yet every day when you turn on the television or you turn on the radio, someone's trying to either sell you something or tell you something or, you know, tell you to get that job and go out there and make more money. You really talk about this well in the book. What are we trying to do here? Why are we so obsessed with the notion of money and fortune? I mean, it can't be all about Kim Kardashian and the Kardashian family. It just can't. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's a very, very common uh, mistake. We're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Mm. We, we, we feel like happiness is somewhere outside of ourselves. So maybe it's in the money or maybe it's in the, you know, the status at the job or maybe we think it's in relationships that someone else can make us happy. If only we found Mr. Right or Ms. Right, then they would make us happy. You know, we think it's maybe in the entertainment nowadays, the entertainment and constant communication of just staying online and having people put thumbs up on your Facebook postings as if that was going to be the source of, 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 of happiness. Happiness is uh, inner. Happiness isn't outer. It's not in the outside things. And, and you know, so people learn this the hard way over and over and over again uh, by, by pursuing happiness as, as if it were outside of ourselves and thinking, well, if only I had 10,000 more dollars or if only I had this job instead of that job or if only I got a better boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, then I'd be happy. And, uh, and inst- instead, while neglecting, the true sources of happiness, which are which are self development, are you know, are inner, such that such that if you if you found the true happiness, the tr- the true methods for happiness in the inside, then the then whatever happens on the outside, you know, you can deal with. You can you can be happy with 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 X job or Y job. You can be happy with this boyfriend or that boyfriend. You can be happy if you have money. If you can be happy with without money, it's not in those things. 
you know, we've we've kind of learned, you know, we should have learned this over and over and over again in life. You know, people have the experience, as I did, when I got my first job, I was making $18,000 a, a year living outside, li- living in New York City, <laughs> in, you know, in, in the early 1980s. And I thought, well, if only I had, you know, $25,000, if only I had $30,000 a year income, then I'd be happy. And then, of course, you know, the story, you get the $25,000, $30,000, and you go, no, no, I need forty-five, And, you know, and on and, and on and on it goes. There's no end to it. And the same is true in the career. You know, some people think, oh, you know, my career will be fulfilling, will fulfill me. And, uh, you know, if you believe that, then, you, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for unhappiness. The best case scenario when it comes to careers, is that at the age of 65 or 70, they'll come and say, uh, you know, thank you very much for your life that you gave to us, to this corporation. We'll never forget you. Uh, you know, let's uh, throw a big banquet in your honor and give you a, a watch. And then uh, and then don't come back. You know, go go golfing in, in Phoenix now because you're done here. And they just use you up, you see. And, and so, uh, you know, we've set ourselves up to fail when it comes to a search for happiness by looking for happiness in in these kinds of uh, externals, in the money, in the job, in the in the relationships, in the career, in the in the human body. You know, we some people think, well, if I if I did a lot of yoga and you know lost ten pounds and you know got real flexible or, or you know. Well, then what is the unspoken behind all that? Then, then maybe I'll never get old. Maybe I'll never get sick. Maybe I'll never get an injury. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, as soon as you do get old, as soon as you, you know, do have gravity asserted itself, all of those downward facing dogs, you know, <laughs> have gone to waste. <laughs> if you, you know, if you think that that's the purpose of yoga, for example, if you think that that's the purpose of, you know, physical activity is to just stay young and healthy your whole life. Uh, you're gonna, you're, you're almost all, you're almost certainly, uh, you know, gonna, gonna be disappointed. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, and guess what? I mean, you and I could talk from experience on that one, don't you think? I'll speak for myself. Uh, yeah. I know I can. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, one of the things that I that I love reading about, and it was, and actually, you have a quote in the book that I've never heard. Now, I don't know why I've never heard it, because I, I, I usually like to look at what Einstein has to say, because I think that you know he was actually from another planet. And, yeah, yeah. you know, got 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 uh, brought down here. But one of the things you talk about in the book and in and I love this chapter, by the way, it, it, you say God does not play dice with the universe. That's an Einstein quote. But it, it's, it's in this place about getting stoked. And I and I thought about this when I was reading it. I could I, I, I could point to times in my life where I actually thought I was stoked. And then I wake up each day today. And I absolutely feel it. But there's been such an illusion for me, you see. And I don't think I'm alone. And I wanted to talk with you a bit about something you say that I I tell you, you must have got this from the Baptist part of you. Sticking to your guns, especially when appearances deceive. I think that's one of the greatest challenges we have. Um, it is. Thinking, it is. I, I really think it is because appearances so often show up as reality. <laughs> well, appearances are. I mean, at some level, appearances are reality. They're just mis, mis, You know, we we just misunderstand them. So, for example, when you know the the part of the book that 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 uh, that that section deals with is is about you know sticking with your guns when it comes to karma mm-hmm. and 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 trying to 
trying to maintain, you know, strong faith that everything good that you do, which means altruistic, kind, compassionate, loving, and so forth, will definitely have a good result. And conversely, you know, bad things that we do to harm people, lying, stealing, sleeping with people we shouldn't sleep with, killing, these things will definitely have a, have a negative result in the future. And, uh, and that's the principle, not just of what they call karma, but of every moral system. Every, every ethical system is based on that. What goes around will come around. And if you don't believe that, then you don't have an ethical system. Now, the problem is, is that it doesn't always look that way. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes we do really nice things for other people and they seem to totally not appreciate it or maybe even spit in our faces. And then we go, well, this isn't working. I was nice. I was, I did the nice thing. And then they just were like, you know, completely, you know, unappreciative. And, and then we have to like work it out. We have to say, well, could, could a negative result come from a positive cause? And, and if you believe that, then, uh, you know, then all bets are off when it comes to trying to, you know, have, it, have any kind of a systematic understanding of how to create happiness in your life. So then we have to say, well, actually, the unappreciated moment wasn't related to the nice thing that you did. It mm. seems like it. It, it happened right afterwards. But, but it can't be related. There can't be a negative result to a positive cause. So then how, how come the person was so unappreciative when you did this nice, nice thing for them? He said, well, it came from a previous cause where you were unappreciative about something that someone else did in the past. And the, and the, and the cause, the, the, the karma of you, being, of you doing something nice for the person is still ticking. It hasn't come to fruition yet. So th there's plenty of examples of this, you know, uh, uh, where, you know, you could do it the other way around, too. C could a negative thing, could a positive thing come from a negative cause? So let's say, uh, you know, you, you lie at, at, at the job, you lie to your boss about your accomplishments or something like that, and the boss gives you a raise. You know, did, did the raise come from lying? And, uh, and if you say yes, then again, all bets are off when it comes to any kind of systematic uh, you know, control over, over your life, systematic moral or, or ethical, uh, you know, system. So the, the line could not have brought the race. The, if, you, if you think a race is a good thing, which most people I think do, you have to say, well, that race came from another previous cause of me doing something, giving something to someone else that they needed, you know. And, and the karma of lying is ticking and that will come due in the future. And someone will lie back to you or, you know, uh, whatever the negative res the result will be. But uh, that's when appearances are. Um, that's when appearances deceive. Is when it doesn't seem like there's a there's a cause and effect relationship. A, you know, a, a systematic cause and effect relationship between our actions and the results of our actions. And uh, and we just have to at that point have to you know have have faith in the system and say like you know nothing good goes for waste. Nothing good goes to waste. It will everything s small, even the smallest good thing I do. We'll have a future. We'll have a future beneficial result, and nothing negative goes goes uh, unpunished in a way. You know, it's not that somebody else is punishing us; we're punishing ourselves. It, you know, karma works automatically. Karma works in our consciousness, and so you know, it's not that you 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 need to have some some belief in some creator god or right. you know karma manager up on Alpha Centauri who's keeping track of everything on supercomputers. You know, we're, we're keeping track of it <laughs> in our minds, in our consciousness, in our conscience. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, to, to have that kind of, um, that kind of faith, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of belief, uh, strong belief system, 
you know, is sometimes hard when it doesn't seem to when it doesn't seem to have immediate consequences, when, when our acts don't have immediate consequences. Yeah. And uh, that's unfortunately, that's just not the way that, that the system set up. Nothing. Nothing happens immediately. Everything is, uh, you know, there has to be a there has to be a gap between the cause and effect for there to be cause and effect. Yeah, Otherwise, I love this. I love what you're talking about because uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, here we are in the mode of, uh, how did someone put it to me the other day? We live in a world, or some people live in a world, of instant gratification, <laughs> yeah. right? You know what I'm talking about. Instant yeah. gratification. And, okay, what is the latest, latest example of that? Well, have you ever been around people, and I'm sure you have, that they are glued to their phones? Mm. They're glued to their phones. And it doesn't matter where they go or what they do. If they send a text to someone, they will weep, cry like babies if they don't get a text back. Now, they may not be doing it on the outside, but you know what I'm talking about. We have certainly gotten, you know, speeding things up in the world of instant gratification. And, and you know, one of the things that I, that I wanted to ask you about, um, there's so much that I actually want to talk to you about but, uh, in, in the book. It's absolutely fabulous. Is this idea of, of making up for lost time. And let me just say it in the contents of, of, of what we were just talking about. If we've done them wrong, and believe me, I'm not, I am not a perfect person here. I probably was one of those people that lied to my boss about performance back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but, but I believe that that karma has already caught up with me, and I don't have to worry about that anymore. But this place that we get to that either allows us to understand the full breadth of forgiveness or doesn't allow us to understand it, I think has been so important for me personally in my life. And you handle the conversation on forgiveness beautifully in this book. And, oh, thank you. and I, I wanted to really take some time uh, to talk about it in depth with you. Is it one of the most misunderstood, let's just call it, ideas that we, we have out there in the spiritual world or not? What's your view? Well, uh I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. misunderstood or not. I, I. I do know that people don't want to do it. And mm. uh, you know, <laughs> when I was on my tour uh, this last summer through North America, I started to realize that you know, as soon as I started talking about forgiveness, you know, the 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 whole body language in the in the room would change. People people like tense up and they said, "No, you know, I'm not. I don't want to do that." Mm. Uh, so I started to I started to take to calling it the F word, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> it has that same sort of effect on people as the other F word, uh, saying like, "No, you know, I, I, I don't want to do that." And it and it's so it's a little bit um, perverse that that the very thing that we know we must do in order to live a happier life, letting go of past grudges, of resentments, and forgiving is the, one of the last things that we really want to do. So uh, that's the kind of state that we're in. That's, that's the kind of a, that's indicative of the problem that we have when it comes to happiness, is that we say we want to be happy, but the things that we need to do to be happy are the things that we are oftentimes least interested in doing. 
So uh, forgiveness is very much one of them. And so, you know, in, in the chapter on forgiveness, I, I kind of go through, a, a, you know, the whole, a, a whole list of what forgiveness is and isn't so that mm-hmm. we can, you know, be clear on what it is that we're doing when we, when we forgive and, and not have in our minds, either subconsciously or consciously, all of these excuses for why we, we shouldn't forgive. So, for example, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not like just saying, oh, that didn't happen, or, right. you know, I'll, I'll just try to go amnesiac on, on, on the past. <laughs> right. That's not going to help. Uh, it's not forgetting, and it's not condoning. Uh, if, if, if they didn't actually hurt you or, you know, anger you or, or whatever it was, if they didn't actually do the act that you are forgiving, then there wouldn't be anything to forgive. So it's not condoning it. It's not saying, no, it didn't happen or, you know, it's okay that they did this to me. It's not like that at all. But on the other hand, what it is, is it is necessary for your own happiness. So it's also not forgiveness is not about other people. It's not about like, you know, you don't forgive for them. You forgive for you. And, uh, and, and so if people, I think, can get clear on the fact that forgiveness is actually in your self-interest, then maybe we're more likely to do that, you know, because we do, we do act in our self-interest. We act mm-hmm. in our perceived self, self-interest all the time. But uh, oftentimes we're confused about our self-interest and we think, well, oh, something. yeah, yeah. And we, don't you think that we also don't want to admit that we're acting in our own self-interest. I mean, I mean, how many people do you know? Well, maybe you know more than I do, but I, I just, you know, you walk around and you say, wow, you know, you really did that in your own self-interest. You know that, right? And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. We all want to appear to ourselves and others as being better probably than we really are. But, uh, you know, there's a difference, I think, between enlightened and unenlightened self-interest. And yeah. uh, unenlightened self-interest is just um, egotism and greed and, you know, selfishness. Uh, enlightened self-interest is what's going to work to make me a happier person for myself, happier for myself, and for the people around me. Because, you know, this is the, this is the purpose of your life, is to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. <laughs> And uh, the problem is unhappiness. People are people hurt each other because they're unhappy. People people conduct wars because they're unhappy. Uh, happy people aren't interested in in hurting other people. So uh, you know, if you want to be part of the solution, then 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 you've got to figure out how to be how to be a happier person. And uh, very much a huge part of that is is being happy about your own past, of being mm-hmm. accepting accepting about your own past and, and having this kind of um, healthy mindedness when it comes to your past. And the beginning of that is forgiving. The, mm. the next part, the next part is gratitude, but uh, you can't, you can't really get to gratitude until you've gotten the forgiveness part done. You know, you can work on these simultaneously, of course, but, but if, if as long as you're holding grudges, as long as you're, you know, harboring these kinds of resentments that we all do about what other people did to us or, you know, what life did to us or whatever, we, we can't live a happy life in the present. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then we continue to create the causes for more unhappiness. You see, unhappiness yeah. begets unhappiness. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, let me ask you this question about this because, I, you know, we're, we're really talking about something that we do hold on to. And this idea of holding on to grudges is, is simultaneously what comes up for me is complaining. And, yep. you know, complaining. 
complaining about another person, complaining about another job. I, I don't know where the line is or if there is a line. It's a blurred place for me between holding on to grudges, resentment, and complaining. They sort of like form this little triangle that kind of work together. Yeah. Uh, and if you've ever been hooked in them, which I have been in my past, uh, you can almost almost never really get out of it. And I guess the question that I would ask is, you know, if you're listening to this show, what do we say to folks to help them take one step away from one or all of those three things? Well, I think, you know, the, the very first step is to, is to just be, get very, very clear in your mind that you really want to be happy. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, many people haven't really stopped to think about that enough, I think, to say mm-hmm. that, you know, that this is the purpose of life. This is not just me who's saying this. This is not just Sigmund Freud who's saying this. The, you know, the great philosophers and spiritual uh, heroes of, of all time have said that this is the purpose of life, is to learn how to be happy, which is not, you know, constant um, pleasure all the time either, by the way. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a deep-seated inner contentment or, or satisfaction with life. So to get really, really clear on that and then to say, you know, if that's my if that's my real quest in life, if that's the real purpose that I've been put on, on earth to, to fulfill, then how is that going to happen? You see, what do I need to give up and what do I need to take up in order to achieve my, my goal? And then you can, you know, you, then you can start working it out. Is, is complaining, for example, yeah. is complaining conducive to my happiness? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And uh, you know, it's kind of the uh, the obvious answer to that is no. Uh, mm-hmm. So so then then you go well. How can I stop complaining? <laughs> and then and then you can say well you know you can you can go to a you know a verse like like the one I quote often in the book I think more than once maybe. Uh, if there's you know, this is from the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, a great a great text of Mahayana Buddhism. If there's something you can do about it, why why be distressed and unhappy? Just do it. If there's something you can do about it, then just do it. Don't complain. And if there's nothing you can do about it, then what's the point of complaining? Still, <laughs> you see, complaining isn't going to make what you can't something you can't do about it. You know better. It's going to make it worse. If there's something you can do about it, just do it. Stop the complaining. Complaining doesn't help in the efficiency of doing something about something you can do about something you can do about if I, whatever, you know, you know. Yeah, and, I do know. I mean, what I love about this is because most of the time we're complaining about other people and you know, some, sometimes you go through this lifetime and you get a lesson that says, Oh my gosh, I woke up today and I realized I cannot change my sister. <laughs> that's a that's an important realization, boy. And, uh, and some people go through their whole lives not, not getting to that realization, and then they like completely continue their whole lives, you know, battering their head against walls. You know, you, you can't change other people not in, not in the way you think you can. Anyway, you can't micromanage change in other people. You can change other people in the sense that if you change yourself, you will see other people differently, mm-hmm. and. And then they will appear different and they will be different for you. But that's not coming from their change. That's coming from your change. So, uh, you know, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. And so if we change ourselves, then we change the, 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 the way that the world appears to us. And, and that's the only way that that's the only world we've ever known anyway, is the world that appears to us. Not as not as the world is. We not, none of us have an objective view of the world. 
we, mm. we all are, we all are, uh, you know, imprisoned by our own subjectivity, by our own, you know, perspective, by our own point of view. So, so that's a, that, that in one way is a, you know, a, a very sobering thought, but in another way, it's a very liberating thought, which means, you know, liberating in the sense that if we change ourselves, we literally change the world around us. Uh, or, or you could put it, put it, you know, kind of work it out more step by step and say the only, only knowable world there has ever been is the world that has been filtered through our subjectivity. And, and therefore, if we change the filter, if we change the subjectivity, the, the, the appearance of the world, which is the only knowable world there has ever been, will change. So you might as well just say the world will change. <laughs> well, actually, there you go. It's a shortcut. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I got a question coming through here on one of our instant feedback systems. And, boy, I guess we, we just hit a nerve here. We oh, just did. We must have hit a nerve here. Uh, complaining about something that you can't control. I get it. Get it over. I get over it. But sometimes it feels good to just let it out and move forward. Uh, question. Change ourselves to what? <laughs> oh, this is the, this is, I love that. Don't you love our listeners? This is the $59 million question right here. <laughs> change ourselves to a happy person, to a happy version of yourself. You can't change yourself into someone else. Okay. That's true. Right. And, and, and that's a, that's also a kind of a false, a false path to think, well, you know, I, I, I got, I got issued this one kind of like, you know, personality or, or persona. And so I just need to like, kind of become someone else. And that's a, that's probably not going to be possible. You know, I, I can't say for sure it's not possible, but it seems like, like it would be way easier to, to just be a little bit more self-accepting as to who you are, mm-hmm. you know, who you, who, who you, who the best of you is, you mm-hmm. see, to get in touch with the best of yourself. And we all have, you know, we all have these kinds of, you know, ideals. We all have these kinds of like realizations of, of the kind of person we want to be. And, uh, but, but then we, we, we have this disjuncture between, you know, who, who we think we are now and who, who it is that we think we should be. And so the, you know, the spiritual life, you could say, is trying to realize your own ideals about who, who you could be. And, uh, and we all have this. We all have infinite potential to, to be, to, to be the kind of, the kind of person that we really want to be. But we have to work at it. We can't just like, you know, hope that that will happen like automatically somehow or, you know, some magic fairy will come and wave a wand over us and change us into, into a happier version of ourselves. We have to create our happiness. So, you know, <laughs> to, to become to become who you really are, maybe is the is the way to you know kind of put it. You know, in in Buddhism we say we all have Buddha nature. We all have the capacity to be a Buddha, and so to realize that capacity, that inborn natural capacity, is the purpose of life. And and instead we cling on to these sort of like you know lower you know twisted unhappy yeah. versions of ourselves. Right. And then. And hold on to them for dear life, saying, "Oh, you know, this is who I am. This is uh, what can oh. I do. This is who I am." Man, we well, have, let me ask you this question. You know, I I should have scheduled two hours with you. That's the bottom line with this. I hope you'll come back. But let me ask you this this kind of last question because this this is I think this is troubling for so many people. There must be some benefit, right? I mean, I can think about you know if I go back 
a little bit, I could think about the benefit to, to complaining or to holding a grudge about something. There was a benefit to me. I, it wasn't really a benefit, but I thought it was a benefit. Otherwise, I would have let go of it. You know, are we in a place where we can't see the light of happiness because we're stuck in, in holding on to a version of ourselves that is counterintuitive? D- does that make sense, that questionnaire? Yeah, totally, and I, I totally agree with that. We're, we we have we are habituated ah. to 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 not changing, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's you know ch- change is difficult, and change is something that actually we 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 avoid. We stick to we stick to our old ways because they're familiar. They're you know we, we've habituated ourselves to our old responses, to our grudges, to our complaining. To and and there and then it feels it 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 seems to feel good because it it's familiar. But uh, but we don't even you know m- most of us don't even know what happiness really is because we've mm. never really experienced it. And and then. And then to have someone come along and say, you know, well, try this and you'll be a happier person. We go, well, I've never, I've never been a happier person. I, I, so, you know, I, I don't know that what you're saying is true. So in a, in a sense, you have, to, you have to have a certain, I think, kind of desperation about the old ways. The old ways yeah. haven't worked. Yeah. And to have that kind of a, you know, I call it Thelma and Louise renunciation, you know, at the end of the movie. And so they, you know, they, they know what's behind them. <laughs> it's all just cop cars and certain imprisonment and unhappiness. We know what's behind us, but we don't really know what's ahead of us until we try. And so, uh, you know, you have to kind of take that leap of faith. You know what happens? They, they floor the Thunderbird and they go over the Grand Canyon. And then it's uh, interesting. The movie freeze frames it. You know they don't fall to the to their to their death. You know they're floating in air, but we have to take that kind of leap of faith to try something new, mm. knowing knowing that the old ways haven't worked, and feeling that kind of desperation to say, well, you know, well, so what else now should I do? You know, the money didn't work, the complaining didn't work, the not forgiving didn't work. You know, the 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 endless serial relationships didn't work. The thinking that somebody else can make me happy didn't work. So what what could I try differently now? How could I try a different way? And that's um that's when the spiritual renegade comes into being, you know? When when you get this kind of like desperado feeling about life and saying like, look, you know, it's too short. Life is too short to just uh waste day, week days, weeks, months, years, decades being being unhappy, being being tormented by my right. own by my own negative feelings. Right. And so, uh, you know, enough of it already, you know, I'm I'm going to put my foot down with myself and I'm going to try a different path. And that, and that requires courage. It requires Mm. desperation and courage. And then, and then of course the next thing it requires is discipline Mm -hmm. of, of disciplining yourself and recreating new habits, creating new habits instead of just indulging the old ones over and over and over again. One of the things that you said, and this is a great, great way to kind of bring this full circle is, you know, that place of desperation. I know what mine was like for me. What was your place of desperation? You know, what was it? Yeah, you you have a few, right? I have a few. Yeah, I think we all have a few. I mean, Uh I I think, um, you know, it takes... There's two kinds of people in the world. There, there, there are people who kind of get it just sort of intellectually, 
And then there's the great majority of us who just have to be hammered over the head. And, uh, and, and maybe with a bigger sledgehammer than, than, than a smaller one. And, and realizing that, you know, you hit the wall. And, and realizing that, you know, actually the old ways haven't worked at all. And that, that, the, that, that, my, that my idea of how to live a good life didn't work. And, uh, and so, you know, in, in my case, it was, there were several of them. I, I, think, I think also another way of, of, of dividing the pie was, you know, you can either bottom out or top out. And, uh, you know, in my case, it was both. I topped out in the sense that, you know, I, I achieved all my life goals by, by the age of about 45, 50, where, you know, I, I, had, I had achieved what I wanted to achieve professionally. I had had children. I had had marriages. I had had hobbies. You know, I had achieved all the, all the things I wanted to achieve, and I still wasn't, you know, satisfied. I wasn't content. So, you know, there's only one thing worse than getting, than not getting what you want, and that's getting it. And then, then all of a sudden you go, well, this isn't really what I wanted either. So that's the topping out part. And then, of course, the bottoming out part is that, you know, a major, major catastrophe happens where, where the rug is totally pulled out from underneath you. You know, in my case, I lost, uh, I lost my, one of my best friends who out of, out of the blue, uh, you know, committed suicide. Nobody saw Mm -hmm. it coming. And all of a sudden he's just not there. And, uh, that, that was a big wake up call for me. He was, uh, he was in my same profession and, you know, and, and, and I realized that, uh, you know, that if, if this could happen to John, you know, well, it could happen to anyone that, 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 that it wasn't in the profession. It wasn't in the, you know, it wasn't in the outer markers of success that true happiness comes because he was obviously deeply unhappy. And, uh, and so, you know, for, for me, uh, for me, it was both topping out and bottoming out. And I think every, everyone that I've talked to anyway, who's, who's had any kind of, um, who, who, who gets at all serious about a spiritual life has had one or the other or both of them topping out or, or bottoming out happen in a, in a, in a way that has woken them up, has awakened them to the fact that the old ways of, of trying to deal with life and trying to achieve the good life the old ways of money and profession and, and relationships and so forth, it, it didn't work out. That, 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 uh, that these, are, these are temporary and ephemeral things that can be pulled out from underneath you at any time. You can lose your loved one at any time. You can lose your job at any time. You can, you can, you can lose your money at any time. And that th- these, are, these are temporary. These are fleeting. And so where is the, where is the deep-seated, you know, source of happiness such that no matter what life brings you, no matter what, you know, the vicissitudes of life bring you, that you can stay calm, cool, and collected, that you can stay in what the, the, the Indian traditions call samadhi, a kind of a, a, kind of a uh, relaxed, chillaxed, you know, kind of a, a, a mode of being, regardless of what's happening, uh, you know, in the exteriors, in the externals of life. And that's the goal. That's the goal. I love it. I want to, I love, I could just, I honestly, I, I could sit here and you and I could chat for hours. Um, I want to thank you so much. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your own realization that, that put you on the path that you are now. I mean, clearly for me, your message is, is so inspiring, uh, for, for so many people. And, for someone like me to be reminded on a regular basis how the hell I really did get here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I can't thank you enough. I can't thank I, you enough. 
It's been a pleasure, Dr. Patton. Maybe we can do this again sometime. I hope you will. Before we go, could you just take a moment to let folks know how they can get a copy of the book, how they can find out more about your upcoming teachings and uh, just about anything else you've got going on? Yeah, thanks. The book is available from Beyond Words Publishing, and uh, you know it's on Amazon.com. And if you go to my website, you'll find direct links to how to buy the book. Uh, the website is Lama Marut L A M A M A R U T uh, dot org, and uh, also on that website, you'll find a you'll find a schedule, a teaching schedule of my upcoming teachings, and uh, and a lot of other material. And I also have um, Facebook pages uh, that you can check out if you're interested. I love it. Thank you so much again. And I hope you will come and do another show with me. I would love to, love to have you on and uh, just get to some of the questions I didn't get to here today. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Pat. Take care. Uh, wow. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, turning us on. Boy, I want to tell you folks, you have gotten a special show here. As a matter of fact, we're going to replay this show several times in the next couple of weeks. I want to thank you all for saying yes to what we do here. And I hope that you've heard something tonight that will point you in the direction of your star of happiness and that star being within. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show. Listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Our hosts are setting a new standard for a fresh kind of talk radio, creating conversations that are transforming the world, one listener at a time. Transformation Talk Radio's mission is to broadcast a distinct blend of live talk radio interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational and practical information. Topics range from personal development to critical issues relevant to a rapidly changing world. Stay tuned. Transformation Talk Radio starts at the top of every hour. 